Zepbound Mujaro Terzepatide for Weight Loss Part 3. This is the Weight and Healthcare Newsletter. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing and or sharing at weightandhealthcare.com. This is the final in a three-part series about terzepatide, brand name Munjaro for type 2 diabetes and Zepbound for weight loss. In part one, we discussed the basics of the drug. In part two, we discussed the authors of this study. And finally, in part three, we'll finish discussing the most recent study on Zepbound. Surmount 4 was designed to find out what happens when higher weight people without type 2 diabetes go on the drug for a while and then go off of it. The study was divided into two periods. In the first 36 weeks, all of the participants took terzepatide. Then there was a 52-week period during which subjects were randomly assigned to receive either terzepatide or a placebo. The basic findings per the study were, quote, After 36 weeks of open-label maximum tolerated dose of terzepatide, 10 or 15 milligrams, adults with, quote, obesity or, quote, overweight without diabetes experienced a mean weight reduction of 20.9%. From randomization at week 36, those switched to placebo experienced a 14% weight regain and those continuing terzepatide experienced an additional 5.5% weight reduction during the 52-week double-blind period. If you'd like to see a graph of the results, you can find that on weightandhealthcare.com. Some things to note. First, the graph clearly shows that people who go off the drug rapidly start regaining the weight they lost, and their weight was trending up when follow-up ended, suggesting that the weight regain will continue, as we've seen in about a century of research and in the history of weight loss diet drugs. In addition to being exposed to the side effects of these drugs, some of which can be fatal, these people will also be subjected to the risks that come with weight cycling, which include everything from increased risk of type 2 diabetes and hypertension to increased cardiovascular disease and overall mortality. This is important since there are any number of reasons why someone would have to go off the drug, from side effects to expense to availability. For those who remained on the drug, Weight loss slowed considerably and by the end had started to rise slightly, which means that the claim that weight loss will be permanent as long as people stay on the drug is not supported by the evidence. Let's go beyond average results and get into some specifics. 783 participants were enrolled in the initial 36-week study in which all participants took terzepatide but 113 discontinued the study drug before the 36-week stage ended, most commonly due to an adverse event or to with participant withdrawal. So, a little over 14% didn't even make it nine months on the drug, and that's including the fact that the drug was started at a minimal 2.5 milligram dose and then increased by 2.5 milligrams every four weeks until a maximum tolerated dose of 10 or 15 milligrams was achieved. The study says, quote, 300 participants, 89.5%, receiving trisepatide at 88 weeks, maintained at least 80% of the weight loss during the lead-in period, end quote. Did you catch that? First, 10.5% of the group who were still taking the drug during the one-year follow-up had already gained back more than 20% of the weight they lost in the first 36 weeks, again, even though they were still taking the drug. As for the rest, they could well have been regaining the weight because of the way the study defined maintaining. For the purposes of this study, maintaining weight loss doesn't mean that people lost weight and kept it off, as the word would be used in any reasonable context. 
for this study, maintained just meant that they were regaining the lost weight slowly enough that by 52 weeks, these participants hadn't regained 20% of the weight they lost in the first 32 weeks yet. Let's take a look at side effects. The study says, quote, a total of 81% of participants reported at least one treatment emergent adverse event during the trizepatide lead-in treatment period, with the most frequent events being gastrointestinal. Nausea, 35.5%, diarrhea, 21.1%, constipation, 20.7%, and vomiting, 16.3%. It also notes that during the follow-up period, quote, gastrointestinal events were more common in the trizepatide group than in the placebo group. Diarrhea, 10.7% versus 4.8%. Nausea, 8.1% versus 2.7%. And vomiting, 5.7% versus 1.2%. End quote. Of course, the trial wasn't long enough to determine long-term impacts. They also say, quote, a significantly greater percentage of participants continuing trizepatide versus placebo met the weight reduction thresholds of at least 5%, 97.3 versus 70.3%, at least 10%, 92.1% versus 46.2%, at least 15%, 84.1% versus 25.9%, and at least 20%, 69.5% versus 12.6% from week 0 to week 88. Let's say this another way. 2.7% of people who took trizepatide for 88 weeks, opening themselves up to side effects and unknown long-term consequences, failed to lose even 5% of their body weight. 7.9% failed to lose even 10%. 15.9% failed to lose 15%, and 30.5% failed to lose 20%. This is important since they are touting the mean weight loss as 25.3% in their results section. That's the kind of thing that healthcare providers should include in informed consent conversation. The study group is also problematic in terms of extrapolation. Study findings can only be reliably applied to people in the demographics that were studied. In this case, the randomized participants were 70.6% cis women, and there was no trans or non-binary representation. The mean age was 48, and the participants were 80.1% white, despite having study sites at, quote, 70 sites in Argentina, Brazil, Taiwan, and the U.S., end quote. In fact, the study states, quote, the study was not designed to represent the racial diversity of each of the participating countries, end quote. This, to me, is unconscionable. If you can't get a more representative sample than this, then don't proceed with the study until you can. The lack of a weight-neutral comparator group is also an issue. Research suggests that weight-neutral health-supporting behaviors can have more health benefits with far less risk than intentional weight loss, including with diet drugs. By comparing their drug to a, quote, placebo group that is still attempting intentional weight loss just without pharmaceutical support, they are stacking the deck, taking advantage of the fact that they know that behavioral weight loss interventions don't work long term. They literally admit that in their introduction. It also allows them to avoid a comparison of the actual health impacts of their drugs against the health impacts of a weight-neutral health intervention, including the difference in risk. So, 
Does the conclusion say that about 10% of people who take the drug can expect to lose weight over the first 36 weeks and then regain more than 20% in the next 52 weeks? Does it say how many others were slowly regaining weight even though they hadn't yet regained 20% after a year? No. They conclude, quote, in participants with, quote, obesity or, quote, overweight, withdrawing terzepatide led to substantial regain of lost weight, whereas continued treatment maintained an augmented initial weight reduction, end quote. That, I would suggest, is what happens when Eli Lilly and company are involved in the study design and conduct, data collection, management, analysis, interpretation of the data, preparation, review, approval of the manuscript, and decision to submit the manuscript for publication, and almost every listed author is either taking money from them or is directly employed by them. Let me also offer an alternative suggestion as to what may have happened here. Participants joined this study ostensibly because they wanted to lose weight. They took a drug for 36 weeks that disrupted their natural sense of hunger and satiety and their natural digestive processes while, if we take their claims at face value, eating 500 calories a day less than their bodies need to properly function while exercising 150 minutes or more per week. At 36 weeks, the drug is withdrawn from some participants whose bodies then return to their normal function and try desperately to return to stasis, which is a process that we see in non-drug-induced weight loss from behavioral interventions when, after about a year of weight loss, people begin to regain weight, with the vast majority regaining all of the weight they lost. Remember, too, that these people know they're part of a trial and that they may continue getting the drug or they may get a placebo as almost anyone who has attempted behavior-based intentional weight loss, aka dieting, can tell you, trying to exercise while restricting food is very unpleasant. More so for this group, now that their natural sense of hunger is not experiencing drug-induced interference. The fact that they no longer feel sick after their injection, and or that they can once again experience natural hunger, means that they are likely aware that they are in the placebo group. They regain the weight they lost rapidly because of their body's natural reaction to being undernourished, changing physiologically to become a weight-regaining, weight-maintaining machine, and the fact that their digestion is no longer impaired and their hunger is no longer suppressed. Meanwhile, another group is kept on the hunger and digestion-disrupting drug. Their weight loss slows dramatically at 52 weeks and for many begins to reverse by the end of 72 weeks. This is perhaps their body finally being able to overcome the drug-induced food deprivation they've been experiencing. There is no reason not to expect continued weight gain if these patients are tracked beyond 72 weeks, which, since the company funding the research is the company that wants people to take the drug, seems unlikely to me. Again, everything about this study is designed to overstate the drug's effectiveness, and that's not surprising given the drug manufacturer's deep participation in every aspect of the study, which is why, with weight loss interventions, it's always buyer beware. Did you find this post helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and the work that goes into it and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.